Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K. Wimmer. Uh, your face is naked. My name yes. is Mariah Rose. Well, when you got time on your hands, you do weird things. And today I shaved off my huge beard. That's, that's And it what is what it is. It is. Your children are scared of you now. Yes, they screamed and ran and said, gross. <laughs> <laughs> that was really nice. <laughs> Uh, well, you're listening to Laser Graves. If you're a first-time listener, thanks for joining us. If you're not, thanks for coming back. We discuss things from the 80s. Yeah, we have a lot of new listeners, so thank you and welcome. Yeah, and speaking of things from the 80s that we discuss... Um, oh! Well, hmm. okay, so I guess we should should come up front and say this. If Were if we you, coming clean? We're coming clean. It, we it, did you dirty. <laughs> we did you real dirty last week. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Not uh, sorry. If you didn't notice, we released a bonus episode, and it just happened to come out on... April 1st, which is... April Fool's, y'all. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you caught it. I'm sure some of you did. Some of you definitely didn't. And some just... of you are going to pretend that you knew, but you didn't. And I kind of felt bad for a little bit, and then I kind of uh, really enjoyed it a lot. Uh-huh. We did a bonus episode... Episode 70 called Rush to Die, uh-huh. a campus slasher, um, supernatural slasher mm-hmm. from 1987, which was completely false, fake. We made it up. We totally made it up. It was a very, <laughs> very elaborate April Fool's joke that yes. I am realizing in retrospect we took way too far, possibly. I feel like we didn't take it far enough. In Maybe. fact, one of the voice actors, uh, hi, Annie. Um, <laughs> Just suggested we actually make a fake movie for next year. Yeah, well... Um, I mean, we came pretty close. We t- came pretty damn close. So Rush to Die was not a real movie. We cooked it up over about a week, worked on it each night, wrote the script. Then we had some people do the voices. So all those clips in there are some voice actors doing that. I added in the audio, the fire and all that. I did the soundtrack clips. Yep. This um, is real heavy on your effort. Yeah, I took it a little too far. I did a fake trailer that we put, did on Instagram. I yes. also did a fake IMDb page. That was um, above and beyond. Hey, you know what? It's a work of art. You snooze, you lose. Yeah. So and you did not snooze. For those of you that actually listened to it and then tried to look it up, I know there's quite a few of you. I'm sorry, but I'm (laughs) actually really happy because that was the whole point. For those of you who are pretending you knew it was fake, uh, okay, whatever. And then for those of you that knew it right away, thanks for not blowing our cover. Uh, We wanted to at least try and get through the whole week, which we did not just talk about it on April Fool's. We've been drawing it out the entire week. (laughs) There's like a fake trailer. Oh, it's You made box art. Oh, yeah. I did an entire VHS, too, Uh like a whole fake um, slipcover and everything, which is on our shelf now and looks awesome. So I'm very happy with it overall. It's probably (laughs) one of my favorite episodes. It was so much fun. We had so much fun writing it. We just sat and stared at each other and said the most ridiculous things. And then some of it we wrote as we spoke it. Yes, there were some (laughs) ad-libbed parts for sure in that episode. Um, Now that you know that, you'd probably be able to tell which parts those are, but... Uh, it was fun, and I'm happy we did it, and Me we've too. discussed if we did some merchandise, how fun it would be to do Rush to Die merchandise. Absolutely. Okay, well, now that the April Fool's joke is out of the way, and yeah. most of you are going, wow, that was uh, overkill, guys. <laughs> That's our style. <laughs> That's our style. Shut That's what up. we do. <laughs> For Finds of the Week, I have a stack of films, but I'm not going to discuss them because it's slim picking, so I'm going to draw it out over the next couple of weeks. You're going to just choose one from no, your No, I do have one that already came in. I finally got my hands on a very nice original uh, media white stripe copy of Halloween Part 1. That's the version I've been after for a very long time, and it's not an expensive tape. I'm just uh, prude when it comes to spending money, so I've been waiting for the right price, and I finally got one dirt cheap, and it and it looks really nice, and I'm happy. So that's my score of the week. What a score it was. Oh, yeah. Bingo. And for those of you who are not listening in real time, we are still in coronavirus lockdown, so all of the thrift stores are closed, so our thrift store finds are, you know, 
not from the thrift store. Right. And the only thing that I've done, because you're the one that goes out in the world and buys our groceries. Yeah, I Mad Max it up. I put my helmet and shoulder pads and I grunt (laughs) a lot and I just push people out of the way. It's weird when you carry the flamethrower. Yeah, hey. So my only um, interface with outside is our yard and the open desert. Right. My finds are the open desert, and this week's find is a feather. (laughs) Oh, wow. Coming in strong this week. Way to go. I think it's my second feather. (laughs) Really glad we're keeping this segment alive. (laughs) Hey, nothing's going to take us down. (laughs) All right. Well, this week we are going to be discussing a cult classic, one that is very near and dear to us. We got this tape Holy cow, like 20 years ago? Something easily. like that. It was one of those when we first started dating, we were showing each other films to like impress each other with our <laughs> intros. Yeah. And I introduced you to this and I felt so cool and a little bit smug. Yeah. By you... being like, oh, you haven't heard of this? And that smugness has not let up in 20 years because... I'm bringing it up now. And you brought it up when we watched it. You were like, remember, I'm the one that showed you this. Remember... This is mine. Although what was really cool is it's one of probably the only tapes we own that has the Hastings rental tag from our hometown where we used to go get movies when we first started dating. But when we very first started hanging out, it was at, you were at Hastings, the movie rental place, and I invited you to come watch a movie. Yeah, sounds about right. And it's been so many movies since then. Yes. We have had this tape in our life for a very long... It may be one of the oldest tapes we still have, actually. Probably. But Dr. Caligari, 1989, is what we're discussing mm-hmm. this week. This is a quasi-sequel to The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari <laughs> from 19, 1920, but uh, it's not, actually. This is... It's definitely an art house film... And if you didn't gather by our extreme overkill of our April Fool's episode, we are artsy people. We don't discuss what we do um, very often on this podcast, but some of you may know that I score films, Mm -hmm. but we both work as artists as well um, and as professional artists. And so this is in our realm. And although we love talking about cheesy horror movies and stuff like that, we are very much... um, snooty art house snobs we, and we this actually, is right up our alley we both have degrees in art history too we do yeah <laughs> so master's degrees in art yeah, history so this is definitely like what we really are about i do a lot of installation art too and this film is really fantastic for the set designs and oh. stuff which we'll get into i'm gonna renovate our house so if you're coming into this episode looking for something cheesy uh and funny this isn't really the episode, but this is really worth seeing, and I but think it's awesome. But stick around anyway, because it is also cheesy and funny. It is. It's, it's just unique, and it definitely stands out as a very unique film of this era. Of I, any there's, era. You, there's just nothing like it that I can compare it to. No. But if you are listening to this and you hear of something that, like, our description of this movie reminds you of something that is similar, we would absolutely love to hear your suggestions. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely send us suggestions. We're all for it. But this film is directed by, and I've heard this pronounced a few few ways. I've listened to a few interviews, and everybody has their own subtle pronunciation and i'm thinking it's because they don't actually know how it's pronounced so if they say it fast enough nobody will notice it's like how everybody pronounces our last name is weimer (laughs) right even though it's just a swimmer without an s but whatever his name is steven sadian but you can say it fast like sadian but it's sadian so steven sadian he is uh, known for another huge cult classic of the very early 80s called cafe flesh which was art house porn. So that's how he got his start. He had a film before that that we'll talk about called Night Dreams. Both of them were very much in the Caligari vein, but they're not the the same way. Caligari is the only non-porn film he's done, to my knowledge. And it tickles the rim. (laughs) Well, it's erotic horror, but it's not anywhere near full-fledged porn. Oh, no, definitely not. But it's... It's got a toe in that water. Although Cafe Flesh um, is, uh, is a, it's a struggle to call that 
porn as well. Yes, there's pornographic scenes. I've never scenes. seen it, but I've always meant to see it. Yeah, it's um, So the set design and the style is absolutely full-on Caligari style. It's mm-hmm. very much like um, a theater design. But it got criticized when it was released. People demanded their money back because it didn't feel like a porn. People were disgusted that it was just like an art film. Oh, how dare you? Yeah, and then where it found its footing was all the art scene Mm -hmm. of the 80s, especially like 80s New York scene, 80s LA scene. They had, nobody still to date had never seen anything like this. Um, This was really unlike anything. Yeah. Cafe Flesh was shot on 35 millimeter, looked really incredible, super surreal, and it kind of bridged avant-garde cinema with Mm -hmm. porn. And the only reason why it was porn was because the person who had the money said, I'll I'll let you make a movie, but it has to be a porn movie. Oh. And so this is what ended up happening was... He did Night Dreams first, and then it looked so incredible. Night Dreams really blew everybody's mind. And then they gave him a little bit more money to do Cafe Flesh. Okay. Um, so that's where he got his start, which would ultimately lead to Caligari. Is this is Caligari his last film? or does Oh, he... no. He's, he did. Several, he went back into porn after that, but there's still kind of weird surrealist porn. Is he still working? Yeah, he's still working. Interesting. At least he was a few years ago. I haven't really looked into it recently. Before we start talking about Dr. Caligari, though, I, I think we should talk about, like, Stephen's career, who mm-hmm. he was, in addition to these two films. Yeah. Because he's, I imagine he's kooky. Like, uh... I imagine him to be, like, uh, what's his name? The director who did the Lovecraft? The... Oh. What is that one? The... One oh, Richard just... Stanley? Yes. Yeah. I imagine him to be, like, John Waters. Oh, maybe... Somewhere in between the two. He's not, though. No? He, no, he's pretty straightforward. I've listened to several interviews with him now, and he's um, he's just as a filmmaker. He's, he's not weird? No, he is kooky, but really, he's just a very visual person. He was a creative director and an, an art person. Okay. I thought he would be kind of that New York scene, like the Basquiat scene kind okay. of stuff, Jeff Koons stuff, but he's not. He was the art director for Larry Flint for Hustler. He was one of the original people on board and he came up with all the strange like ads and designs and humor and that's where he got his real first start was in advertising Hmm. and art direction which is so common for artists yeah for sure i mean that's what warhol did but so after that though he left because uh larry flint had gotten shot i mean there's that whole oh yeah don't even go down that road he left he started a company with a couple of the guys from hustler to do his own uh, design agency okay and became very successful i did not know this about him it's kind of blew my mind but he was very prolific in doing posters for movies he did a lot of the art design and posters for for movies and some for of the directors porn movies no or... no for like mainstream movies okay and some of the directors he did the posters for brian de palma john carpenter toby hooper i Whoa. was like what he did, I don't know if you've ever seen, I mean, I have, but the the very famous cover of Dress to Kill, the Brian De Palma, where she's pulling up her, like, oh, yeah. pose. Mm-hmm. That's his design. Wow. The Fog by John Carpenter. He did Jeez. one of the posters for that. I don't know what he did for Toby Hooper, but he shot music videos. Like, he was mm-hmm. just really a he creative person. He was just plugged person. in. Yeah, and what he did at Hustler and what he tried to keep doing, but they, they wouldn't really let him do was build these super elaborate um, like vignettes for the photos that were way over the top, like surrealist. Mm-hmm. And people were like, these are too crazy. But what that did was kind of primed him to do the set design that would later show up in his film. So okay. that's where yeah, he got that makes his, sense. his art direction from. Cool. Yeah. So that's kind of his background. There's not a lot. I couldn't find out where he went to school, if he went to school. He but had to, right? It just seems to me like he was an incredibly uh, creative mm-hmm. and visually um, geared person where everything he saw was like a work of art. He liked uh. theater, obviously. I mean, that's very clear. Yes. He did everything. And so it, it's really interesting to see. I would say, I know Cafe Flesh is very popular, but I think Dr. Caligari is like a masterpiece. It's so good. Mm-hmm. So, so good. I actually tried to look up the actresses because the actresses are really who stand out in this film. And both of the female leads, I think, 
because they're like non-existent. They've each done a few films, but they're very difficult to find information online. Uh, I think they both did some erotic film, but I don't know if it was exactly porn. Yeah. It's not really clear. And then the woman who plays uh, Dr. Caligari, her name is Madeline Reynal. I believe she's Argentinian. Mm. She was only in one other film, right? Yeah. What was it called? Um, It was called Space Mutiny, and it's from 1988. So Boom. I have a surprise for you. What? I just got a copy of Space Mutiny. What? We got to watch it. Well, because I looked up to see what else she was in, and I saw Space Mutiny, and I was like, oh, I should probably see that. And then one of our listeners was just posting some tapes that he was getting rid of, and Space Mutiny was in there. And I said, oh, can we get that? Because we want to cover it on the podcast. And guess who distributed it? Who? AIP. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Would you like to know something else? Yes. I found her on Facebook. She's what? She is in no way active. It's okay. been like three years. So don't go friend request her because she's just posted some political stuff in okay. 2017. But would you like to see her picture? Oh, weird. She's like a hippie grandmother sitting in a field of tulips. Well, she'll forever be known as Dr. Caligari to us. <sighs> yes, it's <laughs> delightful. It was kind of, it made me super happy to see her in that photo, though. Yeah. Should we dive in? I think we should. Uh, this episode's not going to be a walkthrough as much as us just kind of taking there, little strolls as we walk yeah, through. Yeah, there's no way to really walk through the plot of this. Yeah, it's very surreal. Also how I got my information when I'm mm -hmm. chiming in on all these details. There was a 2013 interview that I watched from the Strange Fest uh, in France. They did a retrospective of all of his films. Is and he so American? Yeah. Okay. So he did. they did some of his films and he did some interviews then. Then there was a really great podcast in maybe 2015, I want to say, uh, on the projection booth and they interviewed him and that was the only, I mean, that was pretty incredible to hear him wow. talk about Dr. Caligari in depth. Without that, we wouldn't really know much of anything. Yeah. So thanks to those two sources, we can kind of synthesize them into this episode. That's really cool. I'm yeah. so excited to learn anything because it's been a big question mark for us yeah. for a, two decades. Well, even just the logistics. So before we get into what happened, this film was actually offered up by a guy who had an adult film business and he wanted to try and get into the business of making normal movies. And, <laughs> so he went with this? <laughs> well, he no, he knew this guy's work. He knew Steven's work and thought, oh, this guy's pretty interesting. He said, I will give you $200,000. And that's all this film was made on. Wow. Which is like dirt cheap. Considering what he did visually. I, I mean, know. He... I, this is really above and beyond i think it's smart though the use of money because he made it like a film set yeah it's like a theater production and but he made it so artfully that it it reads beautifully through this well and that's interesting because that was really intentional and i think this was shot in ray manzarek's studio from the doors oh because he had done a music video there okay yeah it was really weird i could be wrong but i think so but yeah two hundred thousand dollars he prepped even though it was like a nothing budget yeah he designed all this himself. So he saved a ton of money by being hands-on. But he staged all this and prepped it and then did dry rehearsals like you would a theater performance yeah. for four months leading up to actually shooting the film. Wow. And what's interesting is a lot of the direction and the lighting and everything wasn't him trying to be this kind of kooky creative person. It was out of necessity to try and save money. Wow. And we'll talk about that because some cool. of what makes this film so iconic visually was actually just kind of clever thinking to save money. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's what artists are. It's people who kind of uh, bend the rules to make whatever their vision is happen. Absolutely. At all costs, right? Okay. So this film opens with uh, a sweeping, what's well, not really sweeping, but a moving shot tracking over a nuclear wasteland. It's like green slime, very much a theatrical look yeah. right from the get-go, like but also arty. stage production look. I Absolutely. Say. Very arty. And it said there's a sign in all of this saying Caligari's insane asylum, better living through chemistry, which is pretty cool. And it also immediately sets the stage that we are linking to the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is a... <laughs> An old film. I don't know if you've seen it. I hope you have. If not, you should probably go back in time and watch it 10 years ago. <laughs> or when you were born 
you know, scoop out of the womb and go watch that because it's a classic. I feel like it's a staple of any anybody who's an admirer of cinema. You yes. should have seen it by now. If not, we're not shaming you. It's yeah, okay. Start kind now. of. Uh, no. But you should. <laughs> you should track Shame. it down at some point. Especially because it sets the tone for what you're getting into with this film, with the German expressionistic like backdrops mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Because um, that's kind of one of the only real ties that this film has to the original Dr. Yeah. Caligari. And it's weird, this stylistic meeting between German expressionism and the 1980s somehow like, works beautifully. Like art house pop. It's so fabulous. And because, yeah. I want to make over our house like this movie it's like if peewee's playhouse uh redid the cabinet of dr caligari it has that vibe yes absolutely and so we go into this asylum we get a sense that there are patients kind of wandering aimlessly in the dark but then we go quickly to where we meet um our let's call her our first patient mrs van houten She is a woman who is a nymphomaniac living in her own strange, strange daydream. Her daydream is like a weird nightmare hellscape, would you say? Uh, Definitely. Um, That would kind of sum up basically what this film is, is like an erotic, (laughs) surrealist nightmare. Yes, but in the best way. But it's kind of like constantly being in her mind. And her name uh, is Eleanor, is her first name. Eleanor Van Houten. But that Van Houten showed up in his first film, Night Dreams. Weird. Yeah, and that was, uh, from what I heard in that interview, was taken from Van Houten, I guess, was the last name of one of the women involved in the Manson murders. Leslie Van Houten. Ah, okay. Yeah. I just knew that off the top of my head. Right. Well, you do listen to a lot of true crime. I do. It's You're my one secret. Of those people. My dark secret. Um, so to kind of give a little synopsis of her psychotic nymphomaniac world, she sees herself like in a, it's like a static screen TV and she masturbates to her own self, talking dirty to herself. And also we need to really mention the ankle wound. Yes. And the slitting of wrist. I mean, there's all kinds of weird stuff. It's bonkers. Baby face, but specifically the ankle wound. (laughs) I mean, watch this movie and you'll this will all make sense. But the ankle wound does come back several times. It moves around in this film. It's the most active pus wound I've ever seen. Also, if this film, if you've seen it once and you were like, oh, that was too weird. Watch it a couple times because Uh we've seen this uh, for decades now and it gets easier to watch every time. The story is actually really simple. Very straightforward. It's just that you have to separate what's kind of fantasy from what's reality and stuff like that. But hold your hand. This whole opening sequence is kind of all in her mind because she is regressing. She's slipping back into her erotic uh, tendencies Mm -hmm. and her really uptight. What did what did you call him? Sexually repressed. Sexually repressed husband, Mr. Van Houten. He finds her like masturbating on the floor in front of the TV, and he's like, "No, no, 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 we can't have this." Right. Uh, this is too much. So he calls because apparently there have been episodes of this before. Yes. He calls her doctor, who happens to be Doctor Caligari. This is a woman who you want to describe her. Sure. Um, She's got... So Dr. Caligari, actually, why is she called Dr. Caligari? Mm -hmm. It's the granddaughter of the original Dr. Caligari. Yes, she's continued in the family tradition of experimental therapy. Yeah, and actually a little backstory. The only reason why this whole film exists is because the producer of this film, the person with the money approached Stephen with $200,000 and said, you can make this film, but mm-hmm. it needs to be about Dr. Caligari. Because That's so random. Can you imagine if somebody gave you money and were like, Eric, here's money for the film you've been dreaming to make, but... And they just give you some random information. I'd still make it in you a second. You know you would. That's what he <laughs> yeah. did, right? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. But because I guess the, the Dr. Caligari was available, like nobody really had a claim on it. And she said, write something about that. And Stephen said, uh, <laughs> no, that's a horrible idea. But then thought about it and realized, oh, I could really do something yeah. with this. And what's interesting, too, is this is actually co-written 
by a guy named Jerry Stahl, who you may or may not know. That name is familiar. He had his hands in everything. Gross. <laughs> he worked on previous episode, Alf. Ew. He worked on Twin Peaks. Okay. That's where I know it But from. he was kind of a kook, and there was a movie later made about him starring Ben Stiller called Permanent Midnight. That is uh, the same guy. Really? Yeah, and he's like We've his longtime collaborator. And so they co-wrote this together. Are they a couple? No, I don't think so. No, no, because his, uh, because Steven's ex-wife did all the costumes on this oh, film. Oh, okay. But uh, Jerry is responsible for what we'll get into later with some of the really awesome quotes. Um, oh. And I think, I can't remember what he called it, but Stephen called it like dream talk or something like that. And he said that Jerry had this great way of, Stephen would hand him what the what the script was, and then Jerry would rework it to be this dream talk that he would oh, come up with. I love it. And the, the main example we'll get to later is this big monologue by one of the main characters. So yeah. anyway, cool. I wanted to back that up and tell you the story because... The only reason why it's called Dr. Caligari to begin with was because that name was available and he had to make something around that. So these two guys came together and came up with this kooky They're like, let's make it work. So we go to um, Dr. Caligari on the phone questioning Mr. Van Houten. And she's basically calling him out for being a total prude. But she also wants to have Mrs. Van Houten come in. She's like, you need to come admit her for two weeks. And this is also, it's right around this time that we get to hear how, it's one of my favorite quotes from this movie. Do you want to give a sample of how Mrs. Van Houten talks? Because there's a certain cadence to her voice. Okay, here you go. I see that face and I'm a love slut. Uh Uh-huh. So she's got an interesting way of talking, right? Yes, there's a cadence and her body moves very much in tune with the way she talks. I think I could not find anything to confirm this, but I think the actress must have some background in dance because of the way that she holds her body as she talks. Well, and that was all super intentional, like I of mentioned course. earlier. Yeah. Like, it had to all be theatrical. And I think part of it was this idea of hearkening back to the original cabinet of Dr. Caligari and being mm-hmm. really over the top with the performances. And um, as the way Stephen described it was, once he committed to the idea of them being choreographed with all of their movements and line deliveries, Mm -hmm. they had to fully commit. And they couldn't be kind of like partial. I love that. And I think that's what makes this film stand out above any other film at the time is that this commitment to creating this uh, stage performance almost. It's bonkers. Is what makes it very much art house like cult cinema. Yeah. And then, so we go from Mr. Van Houten calling to actually meeting with Dr. Caligari in person. And do you want to describe how Dr. Caligari looks? Yeah, she's got like the black, uh, she's got the bangs and the black bob. Yep. Kind of like Angelica Houston and the Witches or Blade Runner, but um, Susie Sue, that idea, right? Yeah. She's got that cool style. But but, like in a super tight 80s power suit. Yeah, but a power suit that's got like uh, steel breastplates over it. Yeah, no big deal. Madonna would be happy. I feel like she's way cooler than Madonna. Oh, 100% cooler than Madonna. And also, while Dr. Caligari and Mr. Van Houten are having a meeting, she's telling him his wife has a disease of the libido. He needs to send her in for two weeks. There's a woman in a yellow, like, patient clothes. Like, she's a patient, clearly. Mm -hmm. She's got long blonde hair, but in the 80s, like, side sweep where it flips all to one side and cascades down her head like a waterfall. Side note, there was a girl at my camp. Her name was Jewel, and she had that kind of hair. (laughs) And when I was 12 at camp, I tried to do the comb over thing, like where you do the 80s comb over waterfall hair. It did not work for me. That's too bad. Anyway, this woman shouts chinchilla chinchilla and that is the only thing she says throughout this whole movie she'll just randomly pop up and go chinchilla chinchilla yeah and i have little fun facts for you about all these people do you know anything about chinchilla because he was like tapped into the art scene and the music scene the underground i mean he was definitely a cool dude back in the day i mean he's still cool but he was definitely like in the scene and all of these people are mm-hmm. not just random extras. They're all Who like characters. Who the could she Chinchilla be? chick. Her name's Jennifer Miro. 
And she was like a well-known punk singer in a really popular band called The Nuns from the 70s and 80s. Cool. And this was just like a little cameo of her going, chinchilla, chinchilla. Oh, I yeah. love that. I love that. Because she like is something special. Oh, speaking of weird people that is in this film, I forgot to mention one other thing. And that is that the chick that's in the straight jacket being crazy She's actually in the band, the Fibonatics, I think that's how you say it, but they did the Terrorvision soundtrack, and I thought that was pretty damn cool. So uh, another fun fact. Thank you. And then we meet the director. So Dr. Caligari works at this institute that has her grandfather's name, but there's actually a different director. It's a man, and he's strangely mixing cocktails like at yeah. a bar, yeah. and it's super cool, but behind him there are all these like women covered in white sheets but they're posed kind of like mannequins yes and uh he starts talking to uh a woman and her husband i think yeah. but they both refer to him as father it's ramona and adrian and adrian is um the son of this director and okay. that's his wife Okay, so they they talk to each other, and the way that this couple talks to each other, they, like, look at each other. They look away. But they are delivering lines, and it's the strangest <laughs> beat as they do it. Oh, yeah. It's Basically, awesome. this couple sees that Dr. Caligari is doing something weird, and they're trying to get her out of from the hospital, or from this asylum. But the director, the father, is like, no way she stays it's do you know who she is do you know her legacy kind of thing yeah and it's all very like choreographed it's, yes it's a really pretty incredible it's very avant-garde so cinema. Cool. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then when the scene is over dr caligari peeks out from one of the figures that's just been still and covered in a sheet in the background she's just been posing like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever like it's crazy it's so good so she's on to their to the fact that they're onto her. Yeah, we should move over to the serial killer scene. Oh, this is really great. So this is really the second patient uh, that is of note in this. Yeah, his name's Gus. Yes, he's so he's hooked up to an electric chair. Yeah, and he really wants to be electrocuted because he's a juice junkie. <laughs> oh, tell can you do the quote here? The the juice me. Yeah, I could. Okay, I love this quote. Sure, here. You want more? I told you I got the itch. I'm burning up. I'm a hunk of electric corpuscles. First we work. You scratch my itch. That's no fair! I'm a juice dog. I'm a twitching skee-ball. And you won't let me shiver. Okay, well, what's interesting about this is this is probably one of the most iconic scenes in the movie because his dialogue is so insane. Yeah. He's going on, and I'll, I'll give you a couple more quotes here okay. in a sec because I really love this scene. It's so good. But I recently found out in the interview listening uh -huh. that what had happened was they were shooting some of the shots uh -huh. and the producers came in and saw the dailies that were coming in and mm -hmm. were like, whoa, this looks incredible. We'll give you 25000 more dollars to do two more scenes. Huh. And this is one of the scenes that was added after the fact. Whoa, this and is this so is important. Like the scene. Yeah, it's such a great scene. And basically all we learn is she's... Dr. Caligari is quizzing him and saying, you have to tell me about what you've done. And his reward is he gets electrocuted. Yes. And Gus is such a great actor. He's a cannibal serial killer. Yes. Who's being electrocuted by her for therapy. This guy, too, he's he's great. He's had roles in a bunch of stuff. Return of the Living Dead, Dollman. He's so familiar, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. And she shows him, she has apparently on hooks dramatically to reveal to him body parts. Yes. And he discusses his murders by cannibalism. And we see like a flashback to him in a kitchen. And he's with his girlfriend, I guess. Yeah. And she's reading a Watchtower magazine. Yeah. And he kills her with a ketchup bottle and turns her into a stew. Let's listen to a quote from this scene where he's talking about his um, choices. Okay. Okay. Soft, supple American girl, Patty. <laughs> Slice it thick, Ma. Okay, well, after that scene, we get back to Eleanor, who is slipping. She is slipping and sliding back into her crazy oh. sexual fantasies. By the way, if you're a prude, 
this film isn't that bad. Um, it's more weird than it, sexual. Yeah. The, truly, the only thing that your delicate eyeballs have to worry about are boobs. If this is any indication, um, he normally went by the name Rinse Dream was his name for Who? all his porns. Steven. Who? And the reason is not because he was ashamed of making those movies, but because back in the day it was illegal to be shooting porn mm-hmm. and he didn't want to get arrested. So he came up with a stage name, which makes sense because this is his only non-porn film and it's the time that he uses his actual name. Interesting. So I thought I should mention that as well. Okay, so we're back in a Mrs. Van Houten, Eleanor hallucination. She's seeing eyeballs. She says, I'm on a radiation vacation, soaking up the gammas. She says all kinds of cool shit here. I'm going to, let's throw in another quote. Let's do it. This flicker is my vortex. See the neon? I got an EKG you can dance to. Everybody limbo. I had a legendary twitch in Nagasaki. Uh-huh. There you go. Because this film is so quotable. It's just all one giant production. And then she sees a door. It's like at first just covered with skin and those weird ankle wounds that we saw at the beginning. They're now on a skin covered door. It's like a wound stitched together and it's pulsating. It's so crazy. So cool. I kind of want a door like that in my house. And then she goes up at first intrigued by the pussy wounds. And then there's a little mouth she sees in the door and she starts licking it. And then the tongue (laughs) becomes very long and very phallic. And then the whole door is suddenly a big mouth with a floppy tongue and wounds. Those dripping pussy wounds. Oh, this is really cool. And you know what's awesome? This is all just latex, practical effects. So cool, though. Big puppeteer was behind yeah. it with a huge tongue just slapping her in the face. And, she and she's like, getting, like, so wet from oh, all of the, like, weird goo. In more ways than one. This is a very scene <laughs> where she's pleasuring herself during this giant yeah. tongue fantasy scene. But, man, is this cool. This is very surreal. Uh, very, very cool scene. So then we go to Mrs. Van Houten, who is who is now in the asylum. Yeah, that was the breaking point, was the giant tongue fantasy. And she is having, I guess, a session with Dr. Caligari, but we see it from the vantage of her hallucination because there's a scarecrow there. Oh, is and that her hallucination? That's not real? I don't even know, honestly. It cannot be real. Okay. So she asks the doctor. It's like a lot of back and forth really quickly. And it's very bizarre. But at one point, the doctor says, describe your life in three words. And she goes, unending torment. (laughs) And then Dr. Caligari asks for more clarification. And she goes, blankety blank, blank. (laughs) Boy, I can relate to that. And the scarecrow is mouthing along. So he's kind of like her, Mrs. Van Houten, but also not. Because then she goes over to the scarecrow, unzips his pants, and starts pulling out the straw. Yes. And it ends up burning her arm. Yeah. Which then will morph later. Okay. Do you think this is all in her mind or happening in reality? I think it's happening in her mind, but... Um, Dr. Caligari is so um, interesting in her own respect that she's able to kind of be present in the hallucination. Okay. Well, Les, who is the name of the husband, Van Mm -hmm. Houten, Les Van Houten, he's already worried and it's only been like two days and he wants to come check on his wife. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, I'm having coffee. You can come hang out with me. And this scene of her having coffee is so cool. (laughs) Dr. Caligari is... Just such a cool character in this film. Yes. And also we should mention the sets. They're like moving. Yeah, people will come like sliding in on like a black... Platform. Yeah. And then they'll be pulled out. Also, a lot of times when people are talking, they're standing at like crazy angles. Yes. Like somebody must be holding on real tight because they're leaning in such a way that if somebody were to let go, they would topple to the floor. And even the sets will move behind them. Yes. And so here's a crazy thing. Okay. Going back to the cost of this film, 200000 yeah. to make this whole thing. Because he, he realized he couldn't shoot, he couldn't set up like tracking shots and stuff that would mm-hmm. take too long, too much money. Mm-hmm. In his brain, this is where it goes back to being an art director and setting up these elaborate stages for photo shoots. Mm-hmm. He thought it would be easier and more cost effective that instead of moving the cameras to move the sets... 
Oh, this beautiful. was not like an art choice. This was him just but it saying is. exactly. But he thought it would be more practical to just shift the sets like on a stage production. <laughs> Leave it to the uh, mind of an artist to go, it's more practical to move the place than the people. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of one of the most iconic visuals of this whole film are the sets moving around. Yes, absolutely. And people sliding in and out. But that was all just done to save money and time. Interesting. It's really interesting. And then we go to, so Mr. Van Houten is having coffee with um, Dr. Caligari to kind of discuss his wife's care, I guess. And she has an asylum patient bring, his name is Cesare. I don't know if that matters to you. (laughs) But he brings in a big old cake and they're having coffee. And she asks him with her like kind of German accent, one lump or two. He asks for two. And we see the shot of her dropping in one lump of sugar and then a lump of like obviously some sort of drug yes she's drugged him yeah so he drinks his coffee and he's drugged but he like has a we learn he's drugged because he has like a full fever dream about the cake being like freaky yeah it's like a meat cake yeah Yeah. and but she eats and she's like i don't understand well and then we'll flash forward to eleanor being there and she's um, in his fever dream, got her arm has morphed. The burned hand is now... It's it's giant penis, right? Well, it's like that phallic tongue. Oh, right. It's just like because an instrument. It's, yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not a, a penis, but it definitely is phallic. And then uh, the director's son and daughter-in-law are basically... This is a reoccurring through the whole film. They're trying mm-hmm. to stop... Caligari because they realize she's insane mm-hmm. and they're she's just experimenting on patients and they're trying to convince the dad to shut the director, her down yeah. and he's like you can't because of yeah, her name it's just that scene over and over again them like leaning in and trying to say she's crazy but then they're having uh, dinner eventually mm-hmm. with him trying to explain it all this is the whole like painting scene and the lambs the mutton chops well they're having <laughs> there's a lot of talk about how they eat a weekly meal of sheep trotters and it's like actual not really but it's it's actually super fakey sheep legs and they get out a like an electric razor and shave the fuzz off and then eat it in the creepiest possible way it is a really interesting scene after this though one of my favorite parts is ramona the daughter-in-law decides she's gonna sneak out yes and go over and gets in the coolest car oh my gosh ever made in cinema is it a bug no, I don't think it is. It's bug-like. But it's got, like, lights. Fluorescent <laughs> purple around it. lights. It's just so cool. And it, it's got, like, um, like stegosaurus spikes, but boxy. It all feels like a Bjork video to me. Yes. Doesn't it? Yes. It just feels very much like a Bjork video. But Ramona, she's woken up in the night, hops in her car. She just cannot sleep without checking on what crazy stuff Dr. Caligari is up to because apparently Dr. Caligari doesn't sleep. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, she's too busy because we find out that she is inserting needles into Eleanor's head. So, yeah. This is the whole crux of the plot. This is great. So they have, it looks like antennas sticking out of their forehead. Mrs. Van Houten and then the, the cannibal serial killer. They're like strapped down with what look like little antennas. Yes. And Dr. Caligari is going to take what she describes in better terms, but we'll just call it brain juice from each. Like she's taken a little from him, a little from her, and she's going to swap their brain juice and see what happens. And the husband, Les, is dressed up like this clown scarecrow. He's like in a dunce suit, but (laughs) super weird. And it's hot pink. But the, the doctor, director dad, comes comes in and sees all this he sees it only after the brain juice has officially been switched so mrs van houten is now it's the same body but she's acting like the cannibal serial killer the cannibal (laughs) serial killer is now acting like a nymphomaniac yes so switched bodies (laughs) they've switched and this is where we get probably one of my favorite shots in the whole film is uh, gus the cannibal Mm-hmm. breaks out and oh does this gosh. beach wave yes. dance and then smokes a cigarette and then beach waves off like a B-52s video. Yes. And it is so creepy and weird and surreal. It's 
awesome. Yes, and Dr. Caligari confronts um, the director, and he's obviously not pleased with this, but she says, this is the only reality, and I write the rules. And then (laughs) she gives him a squeeze of brain juice from the nymphomaniac, and he becomes Babs. (laughs) Right, this like cross-dressing nymphomaniac nymphomaniac. (laughs) we okay there's a lot that happens but i i'd say let's go down to the basement first i wanted to say one of my very favorite quotes from dr caligari she says oh yeah psychodrama is a subtle art (laughs) there's nothing subtle about what's happening but i loved it so we're down in the basement with gus the cannibal okay and he's looking in a mirror Oh, yes. And gives probably the coolest dialogue of the whole film. Yeah, it's really good. Want to know another fun fact? Yes. This was the second uh, extra scene that they got to do with that 25,000. Really? Yeah. So they chose him both times. Yeah, which is smart. But he gives this incredible long dialogue. I'm going to sample it because I love it. I know what I am, but I know I'm not what I am. Beauty lives inside me. But oh, when beauty is trapped, it gets ugly. I just think this guy is like this. He's just incredible. It's <laughs> like, a great scene. And then at, at the end, um, he discusses how the doctor is a mean doctor and spanks himself with a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Eleanor has become a cannibal. She's found by Les and she starts talking about how to prep animals And basically, he's the animal. Yeah. And um, she's going to go ahead and take care of him, too. So Ramona comes in. She's gotten out of the coolest car in the world (laughs) and is coming to check on Dr. Caligari. It's a whole long scene of her trying to find him. But she finds the director dressed as Babs. He's now wearing a, a yellow wig. Yeah. And he's performing... A lewd act on Dr. Caligari, who's very casual about it. Also, I think it's yellow and pink are the only two colors that people wear in the whole film. Yeah. And um, it, I guess, was a pretty big deal to, like, color coordinate every scene. Yeah. It was very elaborate. The doc, this uh, director guy, who's now the cross-dressing Babs is his mm-hmm. name. Yeah, and he's, like, out of control. His name's Fox Harris, and which is a cool name established actor but fans of horror that listen to our podcast will know him from quite a few deep cuts like he was in hollywood chainsaw hookers he was in deep space which i had pulled this week but you chose dr caligari instead so we'll get to it he was in terror eyes evil spawn repo man Jeez. i mean he's just been in everything which calm down fox but i love it because clearly he's all in like it takes yeah. a very open-minded actor to take this role on particularly this role this is bonkers <laughs> but this is where so ramona is confronting dr caligari and dr Caligari's like well sorry um ramona but guess who's going to be director now because babs is off yeah. <laughs> out of the running and um she also, at this point, is like, Dr. Caligari is like, and I'm going to do this brain juice business with this brain. And she's got a brain in a jar, and it's the original Dr. Caligari's brain. And she takes a drill yep. and drills her own head, yep. gives herself a little antenna spout, and is going to inject her grandfather, Dr. Caligari's brain, into her brain. No big deal. But Just another day. This is where we get to the final scene. Eleanor breaks in. Eleanor the cannibal. Yes. And takes the needle. Yes. Injects herself with in- Dr. Caligari's yes. brain. And injects uh, the Dr. Caligari with her brain juice. Yes. And now we get to the final scene, which oh. is super cool. Yes. And it's basically Eleanor is now dressed as Dr. Caligari acting like her and dr caligari is acting like eleanor miss mm-hmm. van houten and it ends with she is now in charge of the insane asylum the the lunatic who had been committed and, is now running the show and it flashes to eleanor as the doctor now asking to asking 
the original Dr. Caligari to describe her life in three words. And she says, unending torment and then screams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what Come an ending. On. This is a great ending. So good. That is Dr. Caligari, 1989. This is a masterpiece. This really is a masterpiece. If you hate it, uh, that's fine. I don't care. But for us, people like us, it doesn't get any better than this. So great. So weird. This is all in. You had a vision. You went with it. Nothing can compare to this film. Oh, I love it. For better or for worse. It is its own thing. And for us, personally... 100% 100% Laser Graves approved. I think yeah. everybody should see it just to know they've seen it, whether or not you will ever want to watch it again. They will. They're going to go, yeah. this is the most bonkers film I've ever seen, and I love it, and I'm inspired creatively. I th- yeah, I think if you have even a slight artistic bone in your body, you will really appreciate this film. And if you don't, maybe you'll feel that artistic bone growing as you watch this, you perv. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I don't know how this is available. It's got to be on DVD or... It's on VHS. De- well, that's all I know it from. It's, we've only had it's one probably, copy. We've watched it so many times. It's probably on YouTube. Who knows? Yeah, but Figure check it out, it out if yourself. you can. I we think, can't hold your hand. I think you'll like it. Um, but if you liked what you heard this week, come back next week. We're working on trying to do another event episode because we know mm-hmm. you guys like those. They just take a little bit of time to prep. We've got a few ideas. We're all over the place. <laughs> we're all over the place. We also were going to do another book episode. I don't know. People are into that still, but we might do one. Give it's, us a recommendation. Yeah. If you guys do like hearing us talk about books, maybe let us know. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't know. That's a lot of effort too, but we'll get to it. It's a mixed bag. If you want to rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, please do. We are wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, all that kind of stuff. We're at Laser Graves. We are on Instagram at Laser Graves. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to follow our personal sites, I'm at death at 33 RPM. I'm at Mariah Rose Wimmer. You can see lots of pictures of the desert. (laughs) You sure can. (laughs) And um, again, to everybody who fell victim to our extremely elaborate april fool's prank you are welcome (laughs) and if you want to start funding uh that into a real film we will gladly make it yes we will make it for two hundred thousand dollars i bet we could we could pull some i've got some friends we could definitely pull off rush to die for two hundred thousand dollars for sure okay there you go i just wanted to plant that into your brain until next (laughs) week (laughs) bye bye